This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the all-star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. And we got a nice little guest list for you today, starting out with the great Dale Murphy is going to join us here. Also, we're going to hear from Matt Thomas, who is basically me in Houston. He does the pre- and post-game show uh, for the Astros, also works for the Rockets. We're going to be talking about the, the issues going on in Houston as they've got a big dark cloud over them as Major League Baseball continues to investigate. Mark Willard from KNBR. He does the nighttime show there, and he also does Giants pre and post. He was there for Gabe Kapler being hired by the Giants, so we'll hear from him. And also we'll talk to Dr. Meredith Wills, the baseball, how it changed. Did it change from the regular season to the postseason? We'll do that with Dr. Wills also. But Dale Murphy, up for the Hall of Fame this year, a two-time National League MVP, a seven-time All-Star, five-time Gold Glove winner, four-time Silver Slugger Award winner. Two times he led the National League in home runs, and two times he led the National League in RBIs. How is he not in the Hall of Fame? He's in the Braves Hall of Fame. He should be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. As we like to say, friend of the program, Dale Murphy, here on A's Unfiltered. And now joining us here on A's Cast Live, he was one of the premier players in Major League Baseball, a two-time National League MVP, a seven-time All-Star, a five-time Gold Glove winner, a four-time Silver Slugger Award winner. He's in the Braves Hall of Fame, two-time NL RBI leader, two-time NL home run leader. What didn't this guy do? The great Dale Murphy joins us here once again. Dale, how are you? Doing great. Thank you. Thanks for that intro. Well, you know, I was thinking about you yesterday when we were doing the MVPs, and and it's interesting how they they have the three guys up there, the three finalists on MLB Network, and and they're talking to each guy about their years, and then each guy will talk about the other two guys we did in the National League. Bellinger wins it, then the American League, and Trout wins it. I'm like, what was it like back when Dale Murphy went back-to-back MVPs? Was anybody putting you on TV? Well, after it was announced, uh, definitely. I, I recall, you know, I'm not sure. I, I just recall going down to CNN, I think the great late Craig Sager. I'm sorry. So, you know, I can't remember. I do All I remember is I got a phone call. And then once the news went out, I did a few interviews. Yes. So, but... No, a lot of things have changed over the years. That's 
that's just one of them. They announce awards. I, I mean, I love it. It's a great time for the sport to get publicity. And the more, you know, the more we talk about it, the more public sees it's great. But, yeah, that's one of the many things that has changed. I got a, a phone call. That was it. Yeah, things have definitely changed. Actually, my grandfather was Bob Elliott. He was the first third baseman ever to be the National League, to ever be an MVP. He was the National League MVP in 1947. Really? Yeah, in 1947. I, ne- I never got to meet him, but I remember what my grandmother said. It changed his life. It changed his career. So when you win it in 1982, going into that offseason, how does it change Dale Murphy now that you're an MVP? Yeah, I, I would agree. It does. It's it you know you don't know how to react at the, at the beginning. You're just kind of like wow. Um, and I I gotta say, you know, I, it was, I think the voting was pretty close in '82. I mean, I didn't have overwhelming statistics. I, I had good stats, but I think there was there were some other just you know pretty close voting. I can't remember. But the point of to answer your question, I just think what I did psychologically is I felt kind of like a marked man all of a sudden but I I do remember saying to myself in my off-season workouts and and just kind of my overall approach to the game uh, that off-season and and going into spring training was use it for motivation because you kind of got something to prove even though you've been given the award it's like okay uh you've got to go for it you got to work harder and so you got to kind of, instead of making it seem like uh, you kind of got it made, it's kind of like you got to reprove, you got to prove yourself. And the only way you can do that as an athlete is to prepare. So, you know, I did my best at what we did back then. Um, you know, we, we were starting to lift weights and all that kind of stuff. So I remember my off-season workouts. I was just kind of like, okay, well, i gotta I got to really, you know, not mess around because, because you feel like, I, I guess the best way to put it is you're singled out. You know, all of a sudden you're an MVP and you better uh, you better work hard to deserve it. You know, when you talk about these things and having worked in the NFL and the NBA and the NHL, whenever you talk Hall of Fames, I, I know it's tough for, for, for former players to talk about themselves, but for this 2020 modern baseball era ballot for the Baseball Hall of Fame, I feel probably more qualified than ever because I watched all the guys on this list growing up, including yourself. You and I have talked about it. I grew up in San Diego. You played in the National League West. I got to see a lot of your career. All these guys, I got to see their careers. And that's why I wanted to open up with all your accomplishments because I think you should already be in the Hall of Fame for what you did in your career as you were truly one of the best players, no question of your time, a two-time MVP. I can't believe you're not in the Hall of Fame. You don't need to talk about that, but now you get another chance. What's it like to be on this ballot? And you're up against guys you played a lot of games against. Well, thank you. First of all, thank you very much. And, and I always answer the question now with, first of all, thank you to the Hall of Fame for recognizing the fact and changing – voted doing the era uh, uh, committees and, the, and and designating uh, players into their era, which really wasn't happening after you got off the ballot. So I thank the Hall of Fame for, for giving us a chance to be reconsidered. That's the first. And then the other thing is to be on the ballot with my contemporaries 
and uh, uh, you know, like you went. I mean, you saw you saw us play during that time, and I those are my guys, and you know, they're they're all they're, they're all deserving. I know I know people say, well, you know, what, you can't say that, but it, it depends how the definition of the Hall of Fame is going. If 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 we're going to all be compared to Willie Mays and Hank Aaron, it's it's going to be. And that's fine if that's the decision. It's going to remain a relatively small uh, group. Uh, I think there is a case for everybody on the ballot. And so that's why I'm honored to be a part of it. It's going to be tough to get in again because of that. There, there are guys that, you know, should be there. And there's other guys that aren't on that ballot yet that I think will be on it again. So, I thank the Hall of Fame for the opportunity, and I think it's a great ballot. I'm I'm honored to be a part of it. Very proud of it. You know, the thing that, that, that bugs me, and you don't need to speak to this, but this is my problem, is that, you know, for so many years – it's about the writers because when we start when we first started the baseball hall of fame we, we we didn't have television there was hardly any radio so basically it was the writers who covered the game but the way that our business the media is changing writers are being pushed out we you know papers are less and less there's less and less writers and there's now more than ever more broadcasters and i just wish people like myself who go to every single game uh people who are great play-by-play guys i think that someone like vin scully doesn't have a vote and he's seen everybody from brooklyn all the way out to la or a john miller or somebody like that these ford c frick award winners don't get an opportunity to vote i think is a joke but I, 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 the one thing that I do love is that now we're looking beyond just the classic numbers and that more and more even writers who may have not have seen you play can now look at your analytics, Dale. And when you have an OPS over 100 for your career and different analytics, it really helps you and these other guys' cases. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, there, there's no question about it. I, I agree with you. Everything as, as big, as an important, and as um, – as what's the word? Uh, <clears throat> uh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Um, traditional as something like this, the way it's been done, is not very fast to change. You know, yeah, I understand that. And so again, I credit the Hall of Fame with recognizing, hey, there's there's some inequities for the veterans. Let's let's fix it. As far as who votes, how could I ever or anyone ever disagree that Vin Scully <laughs> wouldn't get a chance to vote? I mean, you you bring up a good point. Uh, and it is the writers. That's the way it goes. I, I think it would be fascinating to, you know, discuss that. I mean, it's, it is the writers, so it's their group, and it's kind of hard to say. But I think you could you get some progressive thinking writers that, that could say, man, if, if, if you follow this game, you know, for 10 years as a broadcaster, you're, you're seeing a lot, and, you know, you're just as involved as a writer. So I would agree with you. You know, personally, now I know this is a crazy idea, and but but to me, there's so much marketing that opportunities with the Hall of Fame and the voting and the inductions and everything that I think you could even get more progressive about it. And and I, I'm actually thinking, I mean, a fan representative or a fans or can you can you imagine just the resurgence of interest in baseball? If the voting could be, you know, changed, I, I know that I'm not proposing. I'm just saying, I think we have an opportunity to publicize 
the things that are great about the game in a, in a time when we really need more publicity, more marketing, more, I, and, and maybe the fans is, is a stretch. My, my point is that there's opportunities. For instance, we've had years when nobody goes in, and that definitely isn't good as you're trying to fight uh, getting eyeballs on your screen and, and, and increasing attendance and more marketing. And, and you know what I'm saying? Does, it, does that argument make sense, that there's an opportunity that could be a, a, someone in marketing, a, a, a dream scenario where you have baseball being talked about not only during the season and the playoffs, but then you have the awards, and then you have the Hall of Fame voting. I mean, you could have year-round discussions about baseball and, and its history and its stuff, and, and then sometimes we have nobody go in the Hall of Fame. It, it, just, it, it, it just seems counterintuitive to the time we live in. You know what? Did that make sense? Did you, that make sense? You know what it's called, Dale? It's called the NFL. That's what they do. It's 365, 24-7. They figure that there out. There you go. And, 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 and it, it, that's what it's all about is, is, you know, people are looking at things on their phone minute by minute, and they're not sitting down watching the game of the week. We, we need – and so that's just my, 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 um, my inside uh, self that is – is it is at heart a a marketing guy? I think. <laughs> no, I I love it because I think about Dale. What a lot of people don't understand is everybody thinks baseball controls the Hall of Fame, and that's that's not the case. the 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 right. Hall of Fame is an entity on itself. Baseball does not control it. Now, the one thing I do right. like about baseball right now and about Rob Manfred is that he's looking to change. How do we make this game quicker? Yeah. How do we deliver better? How, how do we get how, how do we get more people? How do we get younger people into the game? How do we how do we how do we make right. how do we spruce right. it up? And I like that because you know what? If you're and you know this being in business and you have businesses if you're not if you're not progressing as a business you're going to die well yeah exactly uh, there's no question and baseball is doing a good job of social media and uh uh what is uh ml bam are are uh the uh the baseball i don't know what it's called but our app is great we're doing things it's it's great but I think one of the great things about baseball is Cooperstown and the history of the game. But you've got to publicize that. You've got to go around the country and have, a, you know, have something that educates kids about baseball. And they become fans. They just they do because it's interesting. And we've done a great job with what Jackie Robinson has done. And I just might give you a heads up. I don't know if I'm letting the cat out of the bag. I, it's not even official. But there's a movement to get a Luke Gehrig day. Um, and, and, uh, you know, so the point is we do a lot of good things, but we can always do more, I guess is what I'm saying. It's a, it's a completely different generation. And I congratulate Rob Manfred. I think everybody's trying to figure that out. Uh, we really have a unique sport that is not like basketball, football, and soccer, where you've got to acquire the taste and understand the game and, you know, let's just let's just keep publicizing it because it is a great game. It is it's got some great things about it. 
Let's end on this, as there's obviously a scandal going on in baseball right now with the Houston Astros and using technology to steal signs. Now, stealing signs, I hate the word stealing. Being able to pick up someone's signs by whether you're doing it visually or it's a runner on second base, that's, that's, not, that's not stealing. But when you're using technology like cameras and televisions and stuff, so what was it like back in your day trying to pick up another team's signs? Well, yeah, that, that that it's not that technology didn't exist and that games were on TV and that there were feeds going into clubhouses sometimes, but, uh, you know, there really wasn't in a, a situation that that I was aware of. I mean, I heard occasionally that, that if the game was broadcast, there might be some way to communicate it, but that, that was broadcast TV. And so, but to put a dedicated camera to steal signs and then it, it, the whole thing is is not within i believe there's a specific rule that says you know within the whatever however it's stated within the confines of the field if you're on second base and you're looking in trying to steal the signs you know that's a different thing you you go out there you, first of all you got to get a guy on second then he has to look at the sequence of you know two three one two and, and remember that, then remember the pitch, and then come in and tell everybody what the sequence was, what the pitch was, and what he thinks sign it is. You know, I mean, it was pretty complicated. Now, there were pitchers clipping their pitches. That, that's part of the game. You can't tip your pitches. And if you can't put signs down with a guy on second that are hard to decipher, then, you know, that's a problem. That's just like me being a linebacker. And watching a running back, when you watch his eyes, if, he, if, if his eyes go right, you know, then, then he's going to go to that part of the line. That's just part of scouting and, and looking at tendencies and things they're doing. But I think, I, well, this crosses the line, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see the book thrown at him. Dale, you know you got big fans here. We're rooting for you big time, and enjoy the offseason. We'll check in with you soon. Great to talk to you anytime. I really hope he gets in. I We've gotten to know Dale now. Such a sweet guy. What a great player. When I was growing up, I mean, center fielder, he was King Griffey Jr. before King Griffey Jr. Playing center field and leading the league in home runs. That's what Dale Murphy did. Great player. Matt Thomas does the pre- and post-game show for the Astros, also calls play-by-play for the Houston Rockets. He joined us on A's Cast Live to talk about the issues going on with the Houston Astros as baseball continues to investigate them for stealing signs with electronics and cameras. Here's Matt Thomas. Matt Thomas coming on today here on A's Cast Live with Chris Townsend, host of the Astros pre- and post-game show on their flagship station. Matt, thank you so much for taking the time today. Yeah, I wish we were calling under different circumstances, but I guess I know in a lot of questions you're going. Yeah, no doubt about it, and it's not easy. And as I said, I was in Houston not too long ago. Uh, it wasn't good then, and now what's what's happening? And Because let's face it, in less than a month, in all my years covering sports, and I cover the NFL, the NBA, and just like you do, and I have never seen one organization in less than a month have two different investigations put on by Major League Baseball, the NFL, or the NBA. It's less than a month now Major League Baseball is having to come in and do investigations, and also the Astros now having to do two different 
uh, internal investigations. It's just not something you see often in sports. Well, let me just give you the the spectrum of this. You have the rookie of the year in Jordan Alvarez. You have Justin Verlander. Either him or, or Garrett Cole was going to win the Cy Young. And then you had this amazing September run where Alex Bregman is trying to beat Mike Trout out for the MVP. So he's going to finish worst-case second. Astros win their playoff series, hard fought against Tampa Bay. Dramatic Jose Altuve home run to win the American League pennant. I mean, things could not have been any better around these parts. The Tottenham situation uh, makes it a very ugly situation. And then the fact that no one seems to want to win a home game of the World Series. Chris, it was painful. Uh, you fought all season long to the Astros to win 100 and whatever games, over 107, so that you have home field. So if it indeed needed to go to a game seven, you could have 43,000 crazy Astro fans. At the end of the day, it did not matter. So you lose that. You lose Garrett Cole, who doesn't pitch in game seven, much to the chagrin of the Astro fans. Then you have Garrett Cole put his Scott Boris cap on, not moments after the game is over with, to basically say, I'm hereby telling you I'm a free agent. And then you have this. So needless to say, it has been a excuse me, very tumultuous time around these parts because I still think going to Game 7 of the World Series as the American League champion is to be celebrated. But right now, at least for today, it's in the rearview mirror. You know, you just did a really great job breaking that down and uh, hitting the nail I mean, perfectly, because, yeah, that's a wild roller coaster ride because there's such great things there. And, you know, we talk to Jeff Blum and Steve Sparks all the time throughout the season, and we're going to want to have you on next season. And and the Astros are a great club, and you're trying to go for two World Series in three years, and you're setting up a dynasty. But then we start to find – and Evan Drellich has done a great job in the athletic covering a lot of things now, Astros, and just – the culture of what's happening and and the, this from the outside looking in the the lack of institutional control. Uh, let's just start with the whole cheating in 2017. This is now being linked to to Cora and Beltron with with, with the Red Sox and, and the Mets. Uh, you know, there was acquisitions coming up in the ALCS about what was going on with the Yankees and everybody, and, and it's, ah, it's not that big of a deal, but all of a sudden now we know there was something really going on in 2017. What what are people thinking down there and what's happening right now? Well, the first question uh, came to mind from my audience was, can the Astros get their World Series revoked? And I don't think that's going to happen. No. Um, I just can't, I just can't see that happening. So, uh, that puts some at ease. Some are concerned about whether or not they're going to lose draft picks. But, you know, just be, in Major League Baseball more so than the other sports, you can survive on not hitting on your first and second round picks. You don't want to because the Astros were built, thanks in large part to Alex Bregman and George Springer and Carlos Correa, all first round picks. So this is how the Astros built and who became who they are. Um, international pool money for free agents, that's really not going to be top of mind for the audience. But the question is going to be suspensions. And do you lose your field manager? How much did A.J. know about this? How much uh, did players know about this? How much did the, the baseball operations a- a- get involved in this? Does Jeff Luneau, the considered one of the best executives in baseball, to craft this team after you know three straight 100-loss seasons followed by three straight 100-win seasons? Does, does that guy miss some time? So, you know, again, I don't know any more than you do at this point, Chris, 
I just think people are very, very nervous. It went from, honestly, everybody does it, who cares, to I think Major League Baseball's out for blood, and I think they can smell it right here in Houston, Texas. And it makes me sad because Chris and Alan, I'm a broadcaster, but I've been an Astro fan since I was a kid. A.J. Hinch and I do a weekly radio show together. We're very close, and I'm such a big fan of him both on and off the field. So I'm selfishly trying to separate the sportscaster from the fan, but it's tough right now because, I'm de- again, I'm definitely afraid that Major League Baseball is going to find out a lot of information, and they're going to want to make sure the Astros are used as an example to say, if you're doing it, you better stop it because we're going to pin the Astros against the wall, even though they are a team that has gone to the World Series two times in the last three years, and we're going to make an example out of them. Yeah, Matt, I, I, I know exactly how you feel. We have very similar jobs. As I actually, I'm a full-time employee of the Athletics, and I do the Bob Melvin show. I do the David Ford show every single week, and you get so connected to these people, and you're such a fan of the franchise. And as you said, you grew up an Astros fan. It's very, very tough. And I was thinking, after the debacle of the way they handled the Brandon Tobin situation, that they were Major League Baseball was basically like, okay, you guys really screwed this up. Fire the guy. We'll deal with this after the World Series, after the awards. I was of the belief more stuff was coming down just based on the way the organization handled the Tobin situation, and then now you throw this on top of that. I, it's just like you're throwing gasoline on top of already a fire. So the question is going to be, Chris, honestly, was this 2017 through 2019? Was this just 2017? Because if it was just 2017, from what I understand, Major League Baseball told everybody after the Yankees and the Red Sox got caught doing a similar type of thing, all right, back off, no more of this. And I think that's where I think people are still very much in a wait and see. If the Astros did not take the narrative from Major League Baseball to end any sort of illegal activity, then this is going to be 10 times worse. If this was just rehashing old 2017, I think that's where you can get a clear separation in whether or not the Astros are going to be penalized to a lesser extent with a fine or with a higher extent of suspension. So I I hate to tell you this, but this is what we're kind of sitting around here for. We're waiting. We're staring at people. We're looking at people's Twitter accounts, the, the Nightingales and the uh, the Buster Olneys, and obviously the Athletic has been heavily involved with this, just hoping more stuff doesn't come out. What I will not do is I will not spend hours of my life like some fans have done to say, hey, remember this came in back in July. Remember this came in September. You can do that, and that's fine, but Major League Baseball is much smarter than that. They're not going to take a Yankee fanboy and say, all right, well, he's got the gospel. So that's why I discount that, and I value, frankly, more what I'm seeing from the national folks that I would hope wouldn't have an agenda on this, although some people here in Houston believe that they do. You know, it was fun being down in Houston with the Raiders during the World Series, and, you know, we actually went over to the Rockets game on Saturday night, and nobody was there. It was like a preseason game. Well, you heard me then. <laughs> well, that, that was the thing. It was like it was like everybody's watching the World Series. No one's even what we, we went to the Rockets game, and there was like 8,000 people there. It just shows, like, well, how fired up everybody is. You also do the Rockets I'll give game? I'll the worst case. I'm the play-by-play on the road for the Rockets, and I'm in Washington, D.C., calling a Rockets-Wizards game. Okay, that was weird point number one. As soon as we were done with a 159-158 victory, the big screen at the Capital One Arena put the Astros-Nationals on. I was literally the only Hatfield in a group of McCoys of 15,000 people deep. So it it has been beyond surreal 
uh, how this was going down is how you're trying to watch one team while support the other. So, yeah, it, it should have been the most amazing time in the world. It was still good. It was still very disappointing in how things turned out. But the craziest part of it is, is that you go from uh, game seven on your home field, not being able to win a single game of the World Series, to seeing Garrett Cole harshly exit out of the lock, a clubhouse after the game, to the Bradman Tobman aftermath, and to now this. So, uh, needless to say, we're not we're not bumping around town beating chest over Verlander winning the MVP and Jordan Alvarez winning the rookie of the year, like I think, frankly most teams would normally do. Yeah, and you should, but unfortunately it's not there. It's great to see Verlander get that award, really cement him as he will be a first ballot Hall of Famer, no question, going into the Hall of Fame. And I know uh, your situation, this is not going to be an easy question, but I have to ask it. As someone who is around the organization, and we've had Evan Drellich on this program multiple times and reading his work and talking to him, and when people say that working inside for the Astros is not easy and it's been tough and people have left and and people have left very unhappy and not a great working environment, and you can walk on eggshells on this, just what, what have you really heard about what it's like to work inside for the Houston Astros? Uh, to be brutally honest, I've never had someone come up to me and say, Matt, I can't work for this organization. Is it perhaps a challenge, more challenging than in other places? Yeah, I could say that. Do I believe the analytics drive the organization perhaps more than any other team in baseball? I firmly believe that. Uh, you know, I don't know Jeff Leno all that well. We've done some weekly shows together over the years. He always says hello to me. I say hello to back. He's come on my show multiple times. Um, but I'm, I'm only going on hearsay. So I don't know. I can just tell you this, that the Baltimore Orioles have pegged a member of the front office of the Astros to come run their organization. A member of the Astros organization now is running the general manager of the Milwaukee Brewers. So if it was so bad and so brutal, other teams would not want to grab employees from there. That doesn't mean that the working conditions can't be tough. It doesn't mean that Jeff Leno can't be a hard general manager to work for. It doesn't mean there can't be people that are leaving year after year. That's everybody. That's fair for conjecture. But I can just tell you that uh, jealousy comes into play for an organization that it was so bad for so long that built it from scratch that worked and they're doing very successful. And now that you have two other general managers, they were direct uh, people under Jeff Leno now running baseball teams. So I don't know if that's good or bad, Chris, to be honest with you. I'm just telling you, I don't, I mean, I can't imagine it being easy, but I don't think people in Houston particularly care if it's easy to work for the Astros or not. This is a baseball city that was dormant for such a long period of time until the organization was stripped to the bottom floor and then built from scratch. And we've, uh, you know, experienced three years of unprecedented exceptional baseball in this community. What was the reaction to Nolan Ryan leaving and Reed Ryan being uh, demoted, essentially? Uh, from what I understand, Nolan's personal services slash assistance to the general manager contract was to end, was ended in March. So, um, yeah, it was a little abrupt, uh, frankly. Uh, Reed and I, Reed does a weekly segment with me, and we, he and I are very close. We're the same age, went to high school, not with com- competing, but around the same area. Um, Reed was really a very, very favorable face of the organization. A lot of shaking hands, a lot of kissing babies, a lot of community activist uh, type things, and really a nice face of the franchise. So we were all a little startled uh, about his departure. Um, and clearly, if you read between the lines, I'm sure Nolan wasn't happy either. So I don't think any of the things that have gone on with Todman 
or with what's going on with this video stuff has anything to do with the business side of things. Now, I'm sure that Reed was privy to some things, absolutely, because he's the president of business, business operations, or was. Uh, but I, I don't correlate all those three things together is the reason why Reed and, and Nolan are no longer part of the organization, at least on a full-time basis. Well, the good thing for you is the ball club is still stacked and has as much talent a- as anybody. Uh, let's get your baseball hat on. Let's get away from the issues. As you mentioned, Garrett Cole with the uh, Scott Boris hat on immediately, which was rough. Uh, he's going to want a ton of money. So going forward, yep. do you think they have a shot to re-sign Garrett Cole? And if they don't, what direction do you think they go in? They have no shot at him. Uh, he's going to want to make $35 million a year, my guess, seven, eight years, you know, looking to break the bank. Um, this is his first opportunity for agency. I don't blame him. He's the premier pitcher in the game. The Astros would love to have him. We'd love to have him as a community. He's been great here. I don't really even count the Scott Boris putting the hat on as a, as a fait accompli. I knew the fait accompli was really when the Astros left spring training this past March and didn't have him sign like they had done with Justin Verlander. So, uh, I don't think it's going to happen. I know Zach Wheeler's name has been brought up. The Astros have done a masterful job, Chris, of finding that diamond in the rough. A few years ago, it was Charlie Morton. Fantastic acquisition coming off of injuries. Last year, for the most part, it was Wade Monning until the end of September that he forgot. They've just done a really nice job of taking chances on guys, giving short-term one, two-year deals, not breaking the bank. And that's frankly all they really need. You still have Verlander in the front of your rotation. You got Granke as a solid number two. You got Lance McCullers hopefully coming back after Tommy John surgery. You've got Forrest Whitley, a young man that has uh, been, you know, uh, a guy that has been thought of very highly in the organization. Everybody's been wanting to trade for him, and the Astros have said thanks, but no thanks. And then you have Jose Herkiti, who became one of the postseason heroes, who's a year removed from Tommy John, had a really nice season for them. He will fight for a rotation spot. So while I think Garrett Cole continues to make the Astros a dominant force in the American League. My philosophy is they've got some plan B's, and they just, at this time, don't want to spend. If you were to spend Garrett Cole, Verlander, and uh, a Granky money in three-fifths of your rotation, you'd be looking at about $90 million, and I think the Astros have no interest in doing that. Can I send you out making Houstonians happy? Sure. All right. Right now. The Houston, your Houston Rockets are with the Nuggets Jazz at eight yep. and three, looking up at the Lakers at nine and two. How bummed yep. are Rockets fans to see the Warriors having lost five straight and are two and ten right now? Do you hear the sadness in my voice? <laughs> do you hear the despair? I mean, I'm. A, I mean, do you hear? Because you remember a couple of years ago, you guys heard me during the Western Conference Finals how much I loved your Golden State Warriors when I introduced them. So you know how I feel about your Golden State Warriors. I'm just frankly, my wife's mad at me because I told her, I said, look, I'm going to be in, in San Francisco for Christmas because the Rockets and Warriors playing ABC. And she's like, yeah, but the Warriors suck now. Does ABC still want the game? I'm like, yeah, that's a pretty good point, but I don't think they can change it. So yeah, no one's sad. No one's disappointed. We, we calm, nice, warm, bubbly Houstonians want your basketball team to lose 60 games this year. <laughs> well, I can tell you this. Uh, I used to do the Warriors pre- and post-game show, The Good Years, uh, and I left last year the radio station to work for the A's full-time. So uh, let's just say yours truly parachuted out of that job just at the right time. So maybe it's your fault, frankly. And by the <laughs> way, when is Mike Fires coming back to Minute Maid Park? People here in Houston are asking. Are people really mad at Mike Fires? 
Oh my God! Yes. Oh, they want to destroy him. We don't like the truth. They do. We don't like the truth. Well, they don't like snitches. <laughs> we don't like the truth. I repeat, the <laughs> fans don't like snitches. Hey, I really. Last time I checked, last time I checked, Mike Fires collected World Series money. Last time I checked, Mike Fires got himself a World Series ring. That's just the last time I checked. Look, I'm I'm not going to kill him like everybody else here in town is, but it's let's just say Mike Fires. Uh, he could save a quarter of his face, and it wouldn't matter. He'd get booed. Well, you know what the problem is? And, and it happens, like, if you're an organization like the Patriots, like, if you cheat and players know about it and they go to other organizations, you're going to tell the other organization what's going on, right? That's like, I mean, look at how fires got bombed this year. They're at Minute Maid Park in that first inning. You don't think in the back of a mind right. he's thinking, oh, these guys are cheating. Oh, there's no question. I mean, if anybody thinks, and this isn't any sport, this is in our radio business, this could be at your accounting firm, that if you have really valuable employees that are wanted by other people or you let them go, they're going to ask intelligence about where you worked. That happens all the time. So no one, frankly, in my audience should be shocked that if someone comes up to Mike Fires or any player, I mean, Dallas Keuchel, uh, you've got uh, Ken Giles. I mean, there are guys in the, you know, Evan Gaddis. They're old players. Brian McCann, they were a part of the team that they don't have to say anything, but they're going to be asked. So that should be a real surprise to anybody. Matt, great stuff. We truly appreciate it. Good luck with the Rockets the West or the rest of the way. And as stuff kind of comes down with the Astros, we'd love to have you on again. Call anytime. Talk to you all soon. Can't wait to see what the fallout is going to be with the Houston Astros. We just don't know how big it's going to be. It may not be that big at all, or it may be very severe. We'll see what the commissioner and his office or what they're going to do once they finish their investigation. Now joining us here on A's Unfiltered, he's a host on KMBR and also does the Giants pre- and post-game show. Mark Willard was at the press conference for Gabe Kapler. If you remember, we talked about that on A's Cast Live. Most times when you start something like this, it ends within like 15 minutes. They don't want these things going a long time. But when the Giants, when they introduce Gabe Kapler, their press conference, because usually once you're done, you have the media scrum. This thing went for over an hour. It was very unusual. Here's Mark Willard talking about this press conference. Mark Willard is a host on KMBR 680. I go on his show uh, every so often, so it's great to have him on my show as he was over at the press conference today. Mark, how are you? Tony, I am fantastic. Honored to be on your show. Well, let me tell you this. Normally in press conferences, you want your he- you want your head guy to come out and talk a little bit. Then you want to introduce your new GM. Then you want to introduce your new manager. You want to take a few questions. And then you want to get up and you want to take pictures. And then you want to talk to the media off the podium. And it's all done in about 20, 30 minutes. This thing went for over an hour. What the hell was going on? Yeah, this one was a little bit different, wasn't it? Um, for, uh, <laughs> for all kinds of reasons. And, you know, normally I think, uh, you know, guys like you and me, we like it uh, when, uh, when content or sports or events break the mold because sometimes what you were uh, describing a moment ago can get a little mundane, but I don't think 
uh, that this breaking of the mold was all that comfortable uh, for the Giants. I mean, the main reason for its length, actually, uh, you'd have to put on Kepler himself. The opening statement of Farhan Zaidi, uh, followed by Kepler himself, was probably close to, you know, 25 minutes just in and of itself before anybody was even asking a question. And most of that was Gabe. I think uh, he had a lot to say. There were a lot of things that they wanted to try to address uh, before they got to questions. I think that's fair in this situation. I think he also was a little bit nervous. He admitted that. And so, um, you know, he kind of wanted to walk through uh, some bullet points that he had in front of him. Um, but, Tony, it was just a, a different kind of a, of a press conference. I mean, anytime that you're introducing a new era and, and you're starting off with explanations and apologies and talks of authorities, this is all incredibly uncomfortable. I guess you could say it speaks to how very, very firmly Fahan Zadi believes this is the right guy. Uh, because if he didn't, with conviction, uh, why would they do this? Why would they put themselves through this? But, uh, but yeah, that was the lay of the land today, and it was definitely different. Yeah, all the years I've been doing this in the Bay Area, I don't think I've ever seen a guy who was hired and immediately everybody doesn't like the hire. And then all of a sudden you double back on the press conference. Now everybody really doesn't like the hire. It's just when we heard the rumors of this and sitting over, you know, we've known Farhan for years over here from his time. He's a great guy. I was just like, how are you going to go from Bruce Bochy, who's so beloved, and then go to Gabe Kapler and just not what happened in Philly, knowing just what we know about Gabe Kapler, how are you going to sell this? And already this has turned out to not be a very good sell job right out of the gate. Well, I mean, it's interesting. I think that there's probably room for, for some, some different perspectives on, on how today went. Yes, it was awkward. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a little lengthy. Uh, but I don't, I don't think that the guys did anything to necessarily hang themselves uh, with regard to these issues. I mean, I think one fair question that I really want to get into with people, uh, you know, once, uh, once, once I get back on the air later this evening, is if you are really that upset about anything related to Gabe Kapler and what happened in L.A., why were you okay with Farhan Zaidi in the first place? Uh, because Farhan, as he has now detailed, was every bit as involved in that process as Kapler was. So I think what happens, Chris, and, and you get this, uh, what happens is, is, is certain labels and perceptions, they get tagged to people, sometimes fairly, sometimes unfairly, and then off we go into the social media mob. And that's been tagged to Gabe, partially because he also doesn't play the game. He's a little bit different. Uh, he, you know, some might say he's a little bit odd or, or whatever. He's a unique personality. I'm of the mind, though, uh, and I think Fahan is probably as well. No matter how it starts, it's really going to come down to what happens as it unfolds. Once games actually start, once relationships start getting built. I mean, they could have hired Joe Espada, and if they went out and lost 40 of their first 60 games, then what's everybody going to say about Joe Espada? And, if, and vice versa, if, if it goes out and – and people look like they're getting along and, and, and the team is having some sort of success, maybe there's a flip side there too. So 
I, I do think, you know, the, the short play, you're right, does not look good. Uh, but there's a long play that we, we still need to watch play out. Yeah, and the thing, the big question that I have, and been following this since, what, the uh, 2016 All-Star break, there are more than 70 games under 500, and I've been saying, hey, listen, I know I'm the A's guy, but just watching it, this ship's not taking on water. This ship's at the bottom of the ocean. They, I mean, they've, they've, they've been bad for a while now. So it's like, Farhan, where are you going? Are you going into rebuild mode? Are you going into a mode where you're trying to win and rebuild at the same time? You bring in Kapler. I mean, what's the direction going forward for the Giants? Well, there, there are two really interesting things on that. A... Uh, that's why I'm so excited about this offseason. You know, the GM meeting starting here soon. I don't know how quickly anything will come together. It seems like baseball just keeps, to, you know, lengthening this process, and now some guys don't get signed until February. Uh, but I, I think what they do this offseason uh, will we'll have a lot to say on that. Um, but beyond that, as far as the direction, I mean, what's clear outside of them announcing today that Ron Wotus will still be the third base coach, and I think he wanted to stay in San Francisco, and, and there is something that's kind of nice and nostalgic about that for fans. Outside of that, I mean, it is really time to flip the whole thing upside down and, and, and pour it out. This is a, a, a very true about that, Chris, is to the point you just made, you know, the, the fan base loves Bruce Bochy, and, and they love a lot of the guys – Bumgarner, Posey, who have had attachments to what was a wonderful run, but it's been well over a thousand days of this team being a bad baseball team. And for some reason, there are a lot of members of the fan base that don't want to see radical change. And, and I'm, I'm wondering what it is they're hanging on to. Certainly there are memories, uh, but there's nothing in the recent time that suggests there's anything to hold on to. Yeah, and one guy they talked about, and it's a little bit of a, that I actually got to see when Kapler talked about Posey and building around Posey, and it's like, whoa. Buster hasn't played a full season in two years. The numbers, they're just not there. I, I, I know he's a good guy. He's a good leader, but we're in a production business. Your three-hole hitter cannot have a 688 OPS. It's just a reality, and it's the wear and tear of the everyday process of catching that eventually beats up all these catchers. He's got He's got big money left on his deal. He's beloved, but what do you do with this guy? Well, I think one thing that's really important to note there with the way Gabe handled that is that Buster was sitting about 15 feet from him. Uh, Buster was the player representative there today, and so if you heard him continually refer to Buster, I, I do think part of that is because Buster was sitting right there. <laughs> now, um, I also know that, that Farhan, both today and last night when he came on KMBR, um, he talked about one of the things that, that, that drew him to Gabe was that Gabe was – was not going to be necessarily emotionally tied to those guys and not be afraid um, to, uh, to let the numbers do the talking and, and let the production do the talking. So even though, you know, he even made mention at one point of panda hats and baby giraffes in the stands. And, you know, panda is a free agent and, and belt is a part of a ton of trade rumors. So I, I think that that might have been Gabe just trying to sort of, um, you know, show the fan base that, He's aware of the history. He's aware of who's there and, and what kind of makes the current fan base tick. 
but I wouldn't read a whole lot into those comments in terms of that's what it's going to mean when the lineup actually comes out. There, there's an entire offseason of roster building and maneuvering, and, and as, as you know, uh, Farhan is brilliant with that, and, uh, and that'll be his job. And then, uh, you know, once, once we get to, uh, to April, then Gamer can take it from there. You know, the reality in the National League West, the Dodgers have won it seven straight years. That's a record. And the Padres are bringing back their brown uniforms, and oh, isn't that great? And the Diamondbacks still – the reality is everybody's playing for a wild card. It's, it's so hard to believe, but that's just how good the Dodgers are. And, and the fact is – Whoever you want to go to their farm system, the Dodgers are better at the big league level, and the Dodgers minor league system is so stacked. I mean, it's 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 hard to think when the next National League West team will actually really challenge the Dodgers for the division. Yeah, it's pretty intimidating. There's no uh, there's no question about it. I would imagine for uh, for the rest of the division, but I would also go back to then um, thinking about the time where. Fahanzadi was presented with this job. And sure, when we're offered uh, steps up in life, we tend to take them. But he's an incredibly smart guy. You know him well. Um, Does he take that job if he does not see in his mind an avenue to succeed? I don't know. Uh, But he left the Dodgers for this team. And, and, you know, he knows that he's going to the right to make these decisions. It's why Gabe Kapler is here. Uh, I think he believes in his process and, and the resources that this organization uh, will definitely have and will continue to present to him. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's a hell of a nut to crack, man. I mean, uh, and, and, and somewhat because of his own doing. You know, some of the decisions he made with the Dodgers, uh, finding guys like Max Muncie and whatnot, uh, are going to make the Dodgers very, very difficult to top. Uh, anytime soon. The lineup is a juggernaut. I don't necessarily know exactly uh, what they're how's Clayton Kershaw emotionally going forward in his career. Will they finally start to focus resources on the bullpen? Those are the things that have maybe stopped them from winning a World Series. But yeah, man, I I mean, I'm with you. That that lineup, unless there are major injuries or, or another team starts to really find some amazing talent, you know, then what's been happening is going to keep happening for at least a few more years. Let's end on this. Cause you know, a lot of my A's fans are 49er fans. Cause when they were growing up in the East Bay, the Raiders were down in Los Angeles. So they're huge Niner yeah. fans after that loss, which a lot of ways we can go about it. I mean, Jimmy G wasn't great. There was a lot of drop passes. It was an epic game in the end. How are 49er fans feeling after that first loss on Monday Night Football where they've lost, what, 11 of their last 12 to the Seattle Seahawks? Yeah, I, I think this actually would have been something that just was water off a duck's back except for the implications, but there's the emotional implication there as well as the rivalry. But um, I think with each night of sleep comes more perspective that the 49ers are 8-1. and one. Um, and uh, most people would have been satisfied with eight at the end of the year as opposed to the, uh, the middle of the year. Um, there are injuries that are starting to pile up, and, and that's of a concern. And the NFL uh, at large has clearly found right now something that they think at least gives them a chance against the 49ers, which is sell out against every single thing that's not Jimmy Garoppolo and make Jimmy do some things. 
And, um, you know, for one game he did. And for the other game, we can argue if he did or he didn't. You thought he wasn't great, but the drops, in my opinion, lost the game. And what's the health of Kittle and Sanders going forward? I don't know. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's not a disaster. There's a lot left. I still think that they're going to go well into the playoffs, and who knows what they do when they get there. But for, for eight weeks, it felt like there wasn't a whole lot of a weakness. And now suddenly it feels like the 49ers are reverting back to that same spot of we've got a weakness in the pass-catching area, or at least we're deficient when we're not fully healthy. I think that's what a 49er fan is probably feeling today. You know, that causes a little angst, but hell, Chris, what's, a, what's an NFL season without a little angst? It was Maybe it was going a little bit too good, and I could definitely make the case that somewhere along the road, the 49ers are going to have to, to, you know, lose a game. You have to lose a game to, to sort of, uh, you know, get all of the things that that does to you emotionally and spiritually and physically and, and all of that. And so uh, they got a great opportunity to get back on the horse this weekend and then get ready for Aaron Rodgers and Sunday Night Football. Hell with the Raiders. We're thrilled to be 5-4 and four after that odyssey of flying right. around the world. I mean, it's crazy. Win Sunday, beat the Jets. Next thing you know, you look up, you're 7-4, you're right in this thing. So, Bay Area football, hopefully we're going to have a good winner here and have a lot to talk about. Hey, I appreciate yeah. you stopping by. It's always great coming on your show. Great to finally have me on, your, on my show, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, talk to you soon. Thanks, bud. It's going to be real interesting to see how this thing turns out with Gabe Kapler being the manager of the San Francisco Giants. Uh, yeah, everybody says it's everybody's all in. You know, we'll, we'll we'll see and we'll see how good their team is going to be. Doctor Meredith Wills, who is an astrophysicist and also writes for the Athletic. We've been covering the baseball and its changes with the doctor, and we talk about changes from the regular season to the postseason. What were those changes? Here is the good doctor. Dr. Meredith Wills is with us once again. Doc, you've been doing a lot of investigating. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well. So the biggest question that everybody has had is – you know, we know that the balls were flying out of the ballpark at a record rate during the regular season, and then kind of during the postseason, but kind of not. Uh, you know, were, were, were the balls the same in the postseason as the regular season? I know you've been investigating. Uh, where are we with the baseball? Uh, well, first of all, I guess I need to start by saying that, that science is science, and it's doesn't always take in the directions you expect. And this was definitely that. And that I um, started out, you know, looking for a, a reason for the uh, postseason baseball traveling the way it did. Because, yeah, it seemed to die. Uh, Rob Arthur did some great work on that. And not only did it seem to die, but the way that it traveled game to game seemed to vary. And so I thought, great, you know, I get my hands on some postseason balls and I can just take a look. Um, by the way, I need to stipulate, it clearly became important that I needed game balls. And I ended up having a lot of trouble getting game balls the way I normally do, which is, you know, there are people who actually can get balls that are used in games or batting practice. 
And for some reason, there were just a lot of barriers that were put up, um, which I suppose is understandable for the postseason, but these were kind of extreme. And I asked MLB and MLB, you know, various channels that uh, either didn't respond or said, no, actually, there are lots of other people who've been asking to do baseball studies as well. So whatever. Uh, So I ended up going to Rawlings and uh, went to a lot of trouble to make sure that what I was buying were unused game balls, you know, postseason game balls, exactly the stuff that was being used on the field. And there are about a half a dozen ways that I I checked that out to the point of them being authenticated as unused postseason game balls. And it turns out that according to MLB and then actually according to Rawlings, the balls that I got actually weren't game balls. Uh, and they were, they were very clear about that. <laughs> so it was kind of a problem because uh, the reason I reached out to begin with was because the balls that I had either wouldn't have met quality control, according to how Rawlings normally does quality control for game balls, or for most of them, they were clearly just not from 2019. They were they were 2018 balls, and I did some cryptography and was able to to um, figure that out because there's a batch code, a batch designation code on stamped on the inside of every cover, and I was able to figure out that these would have been made at the tail end of production for 2018, and there's other evidence showing that too. And so I talked to Rawlings, and they said, nope, these uh, couldn't be balls that we would have used on the field because we just don't sell them that way even though it said game balls everywhere. And uh, yeah, it's actually entirely reasonable. We uh, take balls from previous seasons all the time and use them for, uh, in this case, what they call commercial balls. They're also called memorabilia. And then there were uh, additional quotes that the athletic obtained from other executives at Rawlings saying, yeah, we actually do the same thing with with game balls, with on-field balls. So uh, I suppose I have no idea still what actually happened during the games, but it turned out to be kind of a mystery <laughs> that, that I didn't expect to run into that sort of said, you know, what you're getting advertised isn't necessarily what is, you know, showing up. So I, basically Rawlings isn't the place to go if you want game balls. Yeah, that's not very good marketing right there. Now it's a little bit weird. Um, I mean, I, I have any number of things because I went to so much trouble to make sure that these were game balls, that these would have been exactly what was used on the field. And there was nothing. I mean, I, I talked to, talked to uh, it literally even called their retail division, you know, basically customer service, because there was a little confusion in how, you know, one of the things was listed, particularly it was just the interior but the usage specification said major league comma game. Uh, most of the others said memorabilia. These said game. Um, and, you know, I talked to a guy who went to his supervisor who made a phone call and they came back and they said, yep, these are exactly what are going to be used on the field or what are being used on the field. And yeah, I mean, it's just, I'm not really sure what was going on there, but uh uh, I I found a lot of interesting stuff. The problem is that I'm still I still need postseason actual game balls to figure out what happened. Well, my 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 so. my, my spidey senses tell me it's so controversial right now for them 
that in mm-hmm. no way does Major League Baseball want a batch of their postseason baseballs in the hands of anybody like yourself. Well, they went to an awful lot of trouble even before this came out uh, to make sure that, that I couldn't get them. I mean, there was, oh, God, I'm trying to think. There, there everything from, uh, you know, because to do this stuff, you, you obviously, you know, you talk to people who have access to, to balls that will end up on the field. And it was everything from from personnel who normally would have been able to access game balls who were actually being denied access. Um, there were reprimands being issued. Uh, there, there. Uh, I had a couple people who actually had balls in their possession who then contacted me and said, "You know, I I know I've got them. I know I said I have them, and I, I can't give them to you because my my job would be in jeopardy." And that actually turned out to be a threat that wasn't unfounded. So, you know, it's, yeah, for whatever reason, it does seem to be important to MLB that I don't look at them, which is, is a little bit strange. It's, it's concerning. Um, I, would, I would like to actually do the study and, and figure out what's going on and why it's a big deal, especially since Rawlings has actually gone on the record saying, uh, yeah, actually, we absolutely will use, say, balls from previous seasons on the field of play. So, you know, I'm not really sure what the deal is because Rawlings has just said, you know, what I found for the balls that the, the, um, the people are buying in, you know, buying either in the team stores. And the thing is the prices were crazy. Like I paid an awful lot per baseball to buy directly from Rawlings, but you know, I had people who were telling me about prices at the parks and you have know, like 40 bucks each, 50 bucks each. For these balls that were being advertised as game balls and had authentication stickers. And, you know, that's kind of not what you'd expect if they weren't actually game balls. I don't know. So the, um, these balls had this sticker. So what happens is, is when a ball gets thrown out, there is a guy standing mm-hmm. by the dugout that has the stickers that once Oh no, it's a different it's a different kind. I need to specify. So okay. there's there's two ways you can do authentication. There's either the, I mean, what you're describing, which is that the ball gets thrown out, a guy puts a sticker on it, and then it gets sold on the concourse as this ball was used in game. Correct. And those are like, what, a couple hundred bucks? Um, These are balls that are sold in the stores, and they're already in cases that say, like, authentic game ball, and the boxes that they actually sit in say official game ball. I mean, I'm staring at some boxes now that say official game ball. Um, and the authentication stickers are actually on the outside. And quite honestly, they're, they're on the plastic wrap on the outside, which is a little bit, I don't know. I mean, I, I thought that was strange to begin with because it means that if you try to unwrap the ball to actually see what it's like, you end up taking away the authentication. You know, so it's like, oh yeah, it's authenticated as long as you don't check. Oh. You know, obviously I was going to check, so I took the, the, the wrappers off, but you know, presumably that's why the, the sticker in that case is on the outside. I don't know. Oh, we're saying it's a game ball. No. We're, we're just not telling you from what year. Or, or we're not even, we're not even telling. In this case, I mean, I've, I've literally got a quote that's in my article from their chief operating officer saying, what you bought would never, ever have been a game ball. We just wouldn't have used these on the field. Sorry, if it's in a, if it's in a case like this and you bought it like this, by definition, 
it would never have been a game ball. It wouldn't have been that quality. Why don't we just have so, one? Why don't we just have one ball? Well, the thing is, and and MLB has been very specific about this. Rawlings has been very specific about this. In fact, the commissioner has been very specific about this. The balls are all made in the same process. Like nobody ever starts out saying, "Oh yeah, this isn't going to be a game ball." They're trying to make game balls all the way through, but the standards are very, very high as to what constitutes good enough for games. And the ones that don't quite meet those standards are put aside and they're either used for practice or they're used for commercial. Um, One thing that you do see for commercial balls, and this shows up all the time, is that the balls, they're probably game quality, but they're also stamped upside down. And that's easy to tell because the laces, if you know what to look for, the laces literally look like they're going in the wrong direction. So there's a great picture again in my article that shows, okay, this is what it would look like if it was a game ball. This is what it would look like if it had been set aside by quality control because it was stamped upside down. And like one box I bought that said, you know, game balls all over it, dozen balls, seven of them were stamped upside down. This was kind of a, a was sort. Of, I figured it had to be one of two things. It was either that that, you know, what I've since found out that they weren't actually game balls, regardless of everything that was said, or that uh, quality control had been loosened on that particular thing. Which you know, considering if I don't know why, but it wouldn't be an unreasonable thing to do because very likely these would have been game balls. Were they not stamped upside down? You know, the ball would be the same. It's just the stamps on the wrong side. So, you know, they could have still been used. But you see where I'm going with that, right? Oh, yeah, because it happens with gloves Mm -hmm. all the time. Like, gloves are not made perfectly, so they're called blem. Mm -hmm. They're blemished, and and you'll see a stamp, B-L-E-M, and it's a blem glove that Mm -hmm. they'll sell for cheaper because it's not – it doesn't – fit the standard it's still a glove that you can use in competition if you're a kid or a high school or whatever but it's just not mm-hmm. perfect and they can't charge you the 230 bucks so they're now going to charge you like 65 or whatever it would be so yeah i guess that makes sense mm-hmm. so uh gonna be tough to get down to uh, figure out where we are with the baseball you know it 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 is it's uh, the one thing that's interesting on it is that it, what you have to realize is that I didn't ask for this information in quite this way. It basically got volunteered, which was a little bit odd. Um, you know, like I was surprised at how straight Rawlings was about some of this stuff. Uh, and so the, the statements that I got from the, the chief operating officer were very clear that the balls I bought would never possibly have been game balls. And also that, yeah, they all the time would take base. It was sort of standard practice. For them to take balls from previous seasons and just stamp them as whatever, and in this case, sell them as collect or commercial and memorabilia balls. Um, but then there was a, a later uh, statement to. There's actually a, a second article uh, by Katie Strang, uh, and she did a, a bang up job on this, looking at some of the legal implications because, like, you know, I'm doing the science. That's that's my thing. I just want to find out what happened during the postseason. You know, I'm not I'm not interested in the liability or whatever that's that's for other people to deal with. But um, she ended up with a quote uh, from the chief marketing officer who said essentially that the practice that was being used with the the, the commercial 
or the memorabilia balls was also used with the balls on the field. He actually says, you know, on-field balls, we'll absolutely take them from, from previous years and, and use them. So um, the idea that it's worthwhile to keep looking because it's not, I guess it's not unreasonable to think that we, we saw all this change in, in drag and aerodynamics game to game during the postseason. I mean, we found that. That, that happened. Um, the, the most logical explanation would be, in fact, what the chief marketing officer said, that it may have been balls that were made four seasons before 2019. Because don't forget, I mean, the ball travels way further this regular season than it ever has before. And so if you had balls from previous seasons that were being used during the postseason, which it sounds like is absolutely part of Rawlings's, that's just what they do. It's, it's part of uh, business as usual. And, um, you know, that, that would account for the changes that we saw game to game. Uh, it would have been nice to know ahead of time that that's something that they do because the ball, um, One thing that didn't seem to come across very well in the discussions was that the ball is noticeably different. I mean, you know, and you know this, and everybody who's been sort of looking at stuff, the players know this, the ball was so different during the regular season that using a 2018 ball instead of a 2019 ball makes a huge difference compared to, say, using a 2017 instead of 2018 or 2016 instead of 2017. I, they're 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 different enough, but the ball. I mean, you you felt those. Remember you talking about how like the ball would just roll off the table if you yeah. put it down. Yeah. You know they're so different this regular season that it it would make sense that you would see huge variations if you were taking balls that weren't 2019. And you know, yeah, you know it's 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 not that the practice is the problem, particularly if it's something they've done before now. But it would have been nice to know, you know. So yeah, well, just, and then the question is, what kind of ball are we going to use in spring training and what kind of ball are we going to use in 2020? I I have no clue, but now that we know that this is standard, um, I, I'm not sure. I mean, this, this could just be the way that, that stuff works. It, it could just be that they, you know, maybe something starts out fine early in the season and it just, you know, I don't know when they use the leftover baseball, basically, you know, or old stock or whatever. You know, maybe it's just they run out over the course of the year. Maybe it was just worse this year. Who knows? And, that's, um, and that is a, the and, point is that I, I need the balls to find out. Yeah, and, that, and that's a tough thing for talent evaluators, too, is and you've heard a couple GMs say, you know, what, what kind of players are you looking for this offseason? They said, well, what kind of ball are we going to be using? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, and it's just, and, and the, the problem, unfortunately, is that uh, if you talk to these guys, they, they for whatever reason, they're not, um, all they'll basically say is that the, the, the same methods are used, the same specifications, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of what's been said all through the regular season as well, but what we understood from, for instance, Manfred's comments early on is he would talk about say no meaningful changes which as far as i can tell all that meant was that rawlings was using its standard procedures which they do process improvements they do it all the time you know they're on the record in the home run committee report from last year 
that they do process improvements regularly. So it's like as long as it's kind of what Rawlings would have done, that seems like it's, you know, that's standard. That that fits within whatever the the explanation or the justification is. And now that they've come out and said, oh, yeah, we also will p- take balls from old stock and use them as game balls, um, which this year, again, made a huge difference. If it, you know, Okay, I should say would have made a huge difference because obviously I don't have the data on that. Um, you know, it, the problem is that it fits into that, that original discussion that, or the original talking point. You know, yeah, this is all within specifications. Yeah, this is what Rawlings does anyway. And now that's just been expanded from, you know, they do changes year, you know, all the time to, oh, yeah, and by the way, now we'll use old baseballs too. So it's like it's even more of a moving target than it was before. And I don't know what to make of it. All right, Doc, let me see what I can dig up baseball-wise. Please. Let me the see. postseason's over. Hopefully it's not a big deal anymore. But, yes, I need postseason baseball. We will be in touch. You have a great weekend. All right, great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to A's Unfiltered, and thank you to the great Dale Murphy, Matt Thomas from Houston, Mark Willard from KMBR, and Dr. Meredith Wills. Now back to A's Cast, powered by TuneIn. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.